Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is another edition of our conference breakdown, and today we're going to talk about the Big East. So the top seven teams in the Big East right now are Villanova, Creighton, Seton Hall, Connecticut, Xavier, St. John's, and Providence. And then at the end of the episode, Jalen and I will choose our sleepers. The first team we're going to talk about is Villanova, who just a couple of years ago won the NCAA championship. Jalen, what does Villanova have to do in order to get back to the NCAA championship? So I think the biggest thing is that they got to ride. They got to ride the wave that is Jeremiah Robinson Earl. This is a guy that we were talking about as a national player of the year, like candidate earlier on in the season. I remember we had our episode where we focused on the top nine potential nominees for it. And Jeremiah Robinson, Robinson Earl, he might not be the NBA prospect that everybody was presuming him to be coming into this year considering that his sophomore season has been a significant jump. Uh, he's taken a significant jump in his overall play, but he, as a college player, this dude is it right now. This entire team is, is definitely setting a precedent for the big East in terms of being a powerhouse coming into the tournament. But I think the hot hand is Jeremiah Robinson Earl right now, 15.4 points, 7.4 rebounds, 1.8 assists. I think the thing that stands out the most for me when it comes to him as an individual player is you have to take a look at the conversion rate overall, 49.5%, nearly 50% from shooting from the floor, 56% from two on nearly nine attempts per game. I think that's a huge thing to keep an eye out on because he is not the shooter of the team. He is not the shooter of the team. He is the mid-range fiend, mid-range fiend down low. He's a guy who definitely works within the, within the inside um, area. The painted touches are huge with a guy like Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Now he has the, the Giannis setup. He is not Giannis by any means, but he is the inside out player. And he has guys like Colin Gillespie, sorry, Justin Moore, and Jermaine Samuels as the primary guys to sling the rock to. Now, Justin Moore is on the low end, shooting just under 32% from three. But you have a guy in Colin Gillespie who shoots 38% from three, and a guy in Jermaine Samuels who shoots nearly 48% from three on at least two two attempts per game. Gillespie shoots almost six attempts per game, which is like, sniper gang Kodak level so I think that playing through Jeremiah Robinson Earl has been one of their biggest strong suits they have like what I believe uh five players averaging double figures right now so it's definitely a very team effort team oriented situation with Villanova right now which is typical for this for for this team um over the last couple of years under a guy in Jay Wright who preaches you know ball movement and off the ball basketball but at the end of the day, man, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is the head of the snake. You mentioned Villanova has five double-digit scorers, Jeremiah Robinson Earl being one of them. I mentioned Jeremiah Robinson Earl as someone who could be a potential late first-round pick in the 2021 NBA draft. 
And before the Creighton game, he had four straight double-digit scoring games, including a game where he had 14 points and 17 rebounds against St. John's. Following the Creighton game, he had a 17-11 and double-double versus UConn and a 12-6 and game against St. John's. Another guy you mentioned, Colin Gillespie, averaging 14 points, just under five assists and a steal. He's been one of their more consistent shooters from the field and from three. He also has two double-doubles this season against Marquette and Seton Hall. Justin Moore, another guy that you mentioned, averaging 13 points, close to five rebounds, and just under a steal a game. He has four games this season where he hasn't scored in the double digits. And I feel like when Robinson Earl and Colin Gillespie couldn't get it going against Creighton, Justin Moore was able to have a good game and lead the team in scoring in that game. And then you mentioned another guy in Jermaine Samuels. I want to mention another guy in Caleb Daniels, just grouping those two together. Those two are two of the best shooters from the field and from three on that team. Not to mention that this team is 28th in the country in three-point shooting percentage. So Villanova is a team that's loaded with talent, and I feel like that they could end up being a top seed in the tournament. Yeah, I think the big thing with them, too, is there's like a, a couple of individual things that are like, like really stand out to me overall. I think one of the big things, right, with Villanova is that, you know, we have to factor in the COVID-ridden season and things like that. And we talk about this in the NBA, about the translation between teams. They've got had a very hot start to the season versus teams that had very slower starts to the season. Typically, the teams that had the slower starts were teams that had new guys to integrate, new schemes to integrate, new things that needed to be established in order for the team to be able to finally start kind of getting the cylinders clicking. And that was one of those things that we saw with teams like, you know, I think the teams that you would say had the most continuity in the NBA coming in were teams like the Lakers, teams like the Clippers, teams like Utah. I think Philly even to a certain extent is one of those teams. In college basketball, Villanova is definitely one of them. One of the most interesting stats that I saw was that 83.1% of minutes played and 78% of scoring from last season is returning to the roster this year. Let me read that. 83.1% of minutes played and 78% of scoring. That means a good amount of their roster return from last season is pretty much pretty much pretty much displaying the same team we saw last year um on the court and for those who don't remember this was a team that finished first in the big east last year and finished 10th in the nation by the time this year was over so you have to factor that in like this is a team that is returning high level talent for a group that was already really good last year and just didn't get a chance to show it off in the NCAA tournament due to covid ridden reasons this season, they clearly are out for a vengeance. They're maintaining their spot. And right now, they're actually higher than they were last season because they're eighth right now as of where they're ranked overall, which I think is a huge thing, too, because they're not playing any games coming out the Big East. And like you said, they got some shooters out there. So I think that's huge. I think when you look at what they've got coming forward and they've got, you know, a lot to be able to hang their hat on as a three-point shooting team. They also lead the conference in free throw attempts. So between free throws and three-pointers, that's how you win games nowadays. Who can hoist up the most shots and who can draw the most contact and get to the line? And they do both really, really well. 
The next team we're going to talk about is Creighton. And Jalen, this is one of the teams that I highlighted in our AP poll breakdown early in the season. What do you think Creighton has to do in order to get to the top of the standings? I think Creighton is in a position where this is where I look at them and I go, they have a chance to be extremely dangerous overall in the NCAA tournament, not just because they're second in the Big East, but because of some of the circumstances that I think they're working with. I think they've beaten a good handful of the teams that I feel like should tell you a little bit about themselves. I know that the Seton Hall victories aren't nearly as big. I think the recent win on January 23rd against Connecticut, I think was pretty good. Um, And I think that's a pretty good stance as to where they could be moving forward. Now, that was a a non-James Booknight game. We'll probably get into Connecticut a little bit more later on. But overall, I think with Creighton, right, the biggest thing for them is that they can hang with the big dogs. And I think that's something that I feel like is really notable I, I i mean i feel like their only game that really stands out in terms of hanging with those up top is their game really 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 far back in the season on december 8th against kansas number 17th ranked kansas by the way which has been on a little bit of a a low spill as of late in terms of how they've been producing but so have all the blue bloods but that game was 72 to 73 and although that's a team that was that is slowly declining that was when kansas was at their height Um, so far in terms of where this season has gone for them as a totality. Now, if we just have to look at some of like the individual things, I think we kind of have to focus on the man with the plan that is Marcus Zigarowski. That that dude, he's the guy for them. Denzel Denzel Mahoney and, and Zigarowski are pretty much the duo at the top that are making it all work. They're averaging about 28 1.9 1.9 points combined, averaging just uh, just under nine rebounds combined. Zigarowski has 4.4 assists um, per game, and they're both averaging either a steal and a half or just under a steal and a half. They got a lot of cookie thieves on this team, as uh, Ryan might point out, because they definitely um, have a handful of guys that average at least a steal per game. But I think here's the thing that stands out to me the most, right? Zigarowski. from the three-point line on just under seven attempts per game. Denzel Mahoney, just under 35% from three on just under seven attempts per game. You got a guy in Damian Jefferson, who I think shouldn't be slept on overall. He's averaging about 12 points per game right now. He is shooting 36%, just under 37%. Um, from three, he's shooting 36.7%. I think the fact that their top line guys who are giving them the most production are shooting the three ball relatively well, I think is super huge for them overall. And they're not even the best three point shooting team in the conference, but they're the second best scoring team in a conference, despite the fact that they don't hoist it up like that. So I think, I mean, they're second in the conference in terms of three-point attempts, but honestly, there's not too many guys after those top three that really are lethal three-point shooters. One would say that Mitchell Bay- Baylock is the next guy on the team uh, with 6.6 at th- three-point attempts on 40% shooting. But other than maybe those three to four guys, they don't really have shooters on this squad, yet they hoist them up in a very high volume between those four guys and particularly because after those four, you'd be hard pressed to find another guy who averages 
two two three point attempts or more. So I think they're a really interesting squad. They're a really interesting squad that shoot the heck out of the ball. And I think to keep them at the top, they got to keep shooting like that. You mentioned something on defense, and I want to touch on that again. I think the most interesting thing about this team is that they rank in the top 25 in the NCAA in terms of field goal percentage on defense. They hold the opposing teams to just over 39%. That's interesting because this is a team, like you mentioned, they love to shoot the ball. And you mentioned Marcus Zagorowski. You also mentioned Denzel Mahoney, Mitch Ballack. You want to talk about somebody that stepped up big time for this team. Marcus Zagorowski, who has stepped up huge in the place of Tyshawn Alexander, who was another great player for this team last year. Zagorowski had a huge 25-point game that helped Creighton upset Villanova. And this is a guy who can shoot the ball off the dribble, and he's quickly become a catch-and-shoot player. Mitch Ballack, another guy you mentioned, he's another great three-point shooter for this team, and he's shooting over 40% from beyond the arc. He has a quick release, and he's a great spot-up shooter as well. And then Denzel Mahoney, another guy that you mentioned, the second-leading scorer on this team, He's had a couple of 20-plus point games this season against Georgetown, UConn, Butler, St. John's, Nebraska, and Marquette. Just to mention two other guys, Damian Jefferson, an efficient player on offense, especially in the paint. He's averaging just over 55.5% shooting from the, from the field. And Christian Bishop, who's one of the best rebounders on this team, he's averaging close to 12-6 and six a game. This is a Creighton team that is another talented team in this conference. But they can also make a lot of noise in the NCAA tournament. This is going to be a hot take, but I think this team could end up being an Elite Eight team. I think that they're definitely dangerous. They're similarly deep to Villanova when we touched on it beforehand. Another team that has uh, about five double-digit scores. And I think that bleeds into their overall ranking because you want to you talk about their defense and how they hold teams to a low field goal percentage and how they're one of the better teams in the country as a top 30 team defensively holding teams to like just under 40% shooting from the floor. So the fact that you can lock up on defense like that and then also go on the other end and give the team buckets, I think is huge. And the wealth is definitely spread out between a lot of their players. Like I said, I think this is a team that mirrors Villanova in a lot of very significant ways. I don't think that it's very like apples to apples comparison because I feel like Jeremiah Robinson Earl is their main guy and that's a guy who stands it's between six seven and six nine versus the guy Marcus Zagorowski who's their main primary ball handler and probably another all big east guy this year after coming off of uh, being elected to that uh getting that selection last year the dude's 6'2", 180 pounds like we're talking about a completely different <laughs> ran offense in terms of who their primary leading scorer is who their lead go-to guy is so they run things significantly different but I think the team concept of this team is very similar to Villanova in terms of an everybody eat system with a guy at the top who definitely kind of keeps everything under control so moving on now to our next team in Seton Hall Jalen do you believe that Seton Hall has a chance to be a top five seed in the NCAA tournament so man, ooh, so that's that is that is tricky. I think that they have the potential to do it. I I think, right? I think they do. My only issue is, Ryan, this is it, it's maybe it's not a fair one, but 
we got to look at the we got to look at the quality of opponents in terms of what's taking place as of late. Now, Butler beat them recently and Georgetown beat them recently. That's that's going to be a certain level of ding right there. They've gotten the win over DePaul, they beat Marquette um prior to that. Um they beat Connecticut as um I think I had already mentioned earlier on for something for another team as well. Uh, Connecticut was getting picked on a good amount while James Book Knight was out. And like, you know, like I said, we'll probably discuss that a little bit later on. But I mean, they just don't really have any like crazy wins. Like the teams that they're supposed to lose to, they lose to. And the teams that they're supposed to beat, they handle. You know what I mean? Like we've seen them play Creighton already. That was on January 6th, murdered by Crane, 89 to 53. It was ugly. And if you actually go back and watch the game, it probably wasn't even as close as the score made it sound. And, like, the score was already a blowout. So, like, that should tell you something about just how bad this game was. They had another game that was a bit closer recently, but it's still a loss to Creighton, 85 to 81. I think that's more indicative of how they stand in the Big East. I think they're a team that that is in third for a reason or the um that they fall into that that little gray area of just being just enough to hang with some of the top teams in the big biggie with the top teams of the big east but not good enough to get over the hump this also comes in the form of their two games against villanova two point loss to villanova on january 1976 to 74 and then another another loss to villanova on january 30th 80 to 72 i just feel like they're going to float between that five to seven range because their quality of their, their quality of victory, I think is not as outstanding overall. And it seems like they cannot get over the hump in terms of the two top teams in the, in the conference. I would think that I would feel a lot more confident about them had they been able to split with these teams, but because they weren't yet, weren't able to steal a team, uh, steal a win against these teams in some of these near back to back scenarios where they're, basically playing some of the top teams interchangeably. They basically, I mean, they literally had like a two week stretch where they played Villanova, Creighton, and then Villanova again as like a three straight game stretch uh, within the latter part of January. So the fact that they weren't able to split that and they went on a straight three game losing streak before getting their first dub again of, of February against Providence I honestly think that they're just a team that's going to float between the fifth and the seventh seed in terms of the conference tournament, because, you know, when you look at their quality of victory, they didn't, I mean, they haven't really beaten anybody. I think with Seton Hall, it starts with Sandra Mamou Kaleshvili. He is the team's leading scorer and he's averaging almost 18 points a game, seven rebounds and a steal on just over 45 and a half shooting or 45 and a half percent shooting from the field. He is a certified bucket getter. Only Mm -hmm. two games this season where he hasn't scored in the double digits. And this is a guy who has stepped up for them in conference games. 32 points and nine rebounds against St. John's. 24-9 and six against Butler. In the close loss to Villanova, 23 points, nine rebounds, five assists. 20 points and seven rebounds in a win over Providence. 22 points and seven rebounds in a win over UConn. Back-to-back double-doubles against Marquette and DePaul, and then follows that up with a 22-5 and game against Georgetown. Another guy who stepped up for them is Jared Roden, who's averaging 
close to 15 points and six and a half rebounds a game with over a steal a game as well on close to 43% shooting from the field. He's another bucket getter on this team with only three single digit scoring games. He had a couple of solid 20 plus point games this season, including a 20.7 rebound game in their last game against Marquette. And then Miles Kale averaging 12 points a game on close to 46% shooting from the field. He had a 30 point game against Georgetown and a couple of 20 point games against Creighton and UConn. I think this is an interesting team. This team's filled with a lot of guys who can score, but I think as a top five seed, this could be an interesting team because I think if they're able to rack up some wins in the conference tournament, possibly win the conference tournament, this could be an interesting team going into the NCAA tournament. I think their biggest dilemma, though, is just the three-point shooting. This is where the drop-off starts with the Big East in terms of the the talent level overall. Like, we're going to get to UConn, and that's obviously the most talented team in terms of if you're picking one singular guy on their team, James Booknight is like a top 10 NBA prospect right now, top 12 at worst, just because he's coming off injury. So he's obviously the most talented player in the conference. So that kind of rounds things out. But if we're talking about the overall production team-wise, yeah, I mean, you know, we went from two straight teams where it was five players averaging double figures to now three players that average double figures. And then the next best player after that, I was only averaging 7.7 points per game in Shavar Reynolds. Sandro um, at the top averaging 17.8 points per game is the head of the snake. I mean, 6'11", senior forward, 240 pounds. He's a beast. And like you definitely got it right when you say that he's a certified bucket getter for sure. It's just that the three ball is really hurting them. Again, when we talk about the scoring department, when you look at this team, their top three guys each average 4.5 three-point attempts per game. Now, that's significantly different from the other two teams that we talked about where some of their leading shooters are taking anywhere between five and seven three-point attempts per game, and they're really hoisting it up. This team, on the other hand, is ninth in the conference in three-point percentage at just over 31%. And they're seventh in the conference in terms of three-point attempts with just barely over 21. So they don't shoot the three ball nearly as well. You can tell that they lean on Sandro from the primary focuses of the as the primary focus of their offense, not only by his scoring output, but by their inability to shoot the three at a high clip. Like each of those guys that I mentioned off are shooting less than 40%, which is not bad. I mean, Sandro's shooting just under 35, Roden is shooting underwhelmingly at just under 32 and miles kale is shooting probably the best at 37.9 percent shavar reynolds also falls into that category at 37.7 percent but he's only taken 2.3 attempts so this team doesn't shoot the three nearly as well as the other two teams we've already discussed they're not nearly as deep in terms of scoring threats on the court and they're more of an inside oriented team which instantly makes them significantly different from some of the better teams in this conference who thrive on the three ball. So I think the biggest thing for them is just going to be the fact that they're going to have to try to figure out how to contest with twos against these better teams that are shooting the hell out of the ball when it comes to shooting threes. And I know you're talking about them potentially being able to make a run and maybe be able to sneak themselves in um, at a little bit of a higher spot. But right now, 
I mean, they, I mean, like I said, they have really either got a Sandro is going to have to go out of his mind for a couple of games for a couple of game stretch, or they're going to have to get better at shooting the three ball overnight. Cause I think that's the only thing that's going to make them a true threat come NCAA tournament time. Cause right now they look like they're going to go as far as maybe the, the, the second day, but who knows? They got some guys, they got some guys for sure. So moving on to our next team in Connecticut. Jalen, now that James Booknight is back, how much of an effect does James Booknight have on this UConn team? Man, James Booknight is a different animal, okay? I don't think people understand that, like, this dude is, like, legitimately in conversation to be a lottery pick, like, for a reason, like, the dude is just insane. Can we talk about basically – so let, let's go back through the data real quick. So this team has pretty much been on a little bit of a high road as of, as of late. Now, they've ran it, they ran into a buzzsaw in Villanova on February 20th, but it still was only a 60-68 to 68 game in which James Booknight, the cat had 21-10. and 10. In 36 minutes, I mean, that's what it's the eighth ranked team in the country. That is insane. The game against Providence, in which they won right before that, um, he had 18 and 18, four and two to go along his, uh, his one of his uh, backcourt mates in Tyrese Martin, who had 18 and seven. I mean, this dude, he instantly makes Connecticut a better team. Like instantly. And I mean, it shows. I mean, it definitely shows because let's see. So February 10th, I believe, was the last game um, bef- that that Connecticut had before James Booknight came back. Um, or actually, I think it might have actually been against uh, Xavier on February 13th um, because he actually came back against Providence um most recently so let's say before then so they were on a skid of since january 11th when they beat depaul they lost to st john's creighton beat butler lost to seton hall lost to providence and then beat beat xavier average ball club pretty much once he comes back in the providence game beats providence made the game against Villanova relatively competitive and whoop on Georgetown. Like, I think that James Booknight is literally the, the, the needle mover, if you will, in this conference. I think James Booknight overall, hot take, probably not, I think is literally the defining factor of who is the most dangerous team coming out of the Big East. Because, again, hot take or not, I think Connecticut might actually be the most dangerous team in this conference, despite not being first in the conference overall, because I think Villanova is dangerous. I think they're probably the most well-rounded team. I think that that all works in their favor. I also think that when you look at Creighton, they are really good, but I genuinely believe that come March madness time, I understand that it comes down to lucky bounces and certain shots, but I think that James Booknight being a player that can literally take over a game is something that's going to make Connecticut super scary. And I'm not giving anybody cardiac Kimba vibes or anything, 
But I think that James Booknight has that kind of impact on the game for Connecticut that I think that they're going to be a really scary out. And I would not be surprised if some of these top teams get knocked off because James Booknight is just too athletic and too skilled of a basketball player to hold down in a one-game winner-go-home type of situation. You know, the audience couldn't see it, but I was smiling on the other end because I said that this team can get a lot of wins once Book Knight comes back. And when you said that this team was the most dangerous team down the stretch, I could not agree with you more. Now that he's back, this is the most dangerous team down the stretch in this conference, especially considering he makes the team better. Let's talk about Book Knight first. Book Knight's averaging 20 points a game, six rebounds, along with over a steal and a half a game. In his first game back against Providence, he puts up 18 points, four rebounds, two assists, and two steals. And he shot close to 54% from the field. He then goes off for two double-doubles, back-to-back double-doubles against Villanova and Georgetown. 21-10 and 10 against Villanova, 20-10 and 10 against Georgetown. Jalen actually mentioned that Book Knight is actually an underrated National Player of the Year candidate. And now that he's back, he is making his claim once again. But it's not even just Book Knight. He's making the entire team better. In that stretch when he was out, the load had to be carried by guys like Tyrese Martin, RJ Cole, Tyler Polly, and Isaiah Whaley. Let's start with Tyrese Martin. Martin's averaging 12 points a game and seven rebounds, close to one and a half steals a game. He's shooting over 48% from the field, 39.5% from three. RJ Cole is a guy who has stepped up big for this team in recent games. At one point, he was averaging 10 and a half points a game. He boosted it up to 12 points a game and just over a steal. Isaiah Whaley is a consistent shooter for them, not only from the field, but from three, 46% from the field, 38.5% from three. And Tyler Pauly leads the team in free throw percentage. He's a guy who's able to draw fouls and get to the line at a high level and make the free throws when it counts. They have to face Marquette, Seton Hall, and Georgetown to close out the season. There's a chance that this team could go 3-0 to close out the season. Definitely. And I think one of the biggest things to touch on, because I know that we're going to harp on on a guy in James Booknight, but I think it's really interesting that you brought up RJ Cole, just because of the mere fact that like, this is a guy who has integrated himself very well. This is a guy that was coming, um, coming in as pretty much like the new guy on the block. He's had a couple of stops, um, beforehand considering that once he was he was at Howard to start his basketball career off um in college and then he had a red shirt year last year so he didn't actually participate with the team last season and has instantly become an impact player off rip as their second leading scorer on the team with 12.4 points per game so I think that's a huge point all in itself I think the thing with this team too though similar to what I was referring to in terms of talking about Seton Hall, this again is where we start to find that drop off in terms of the three point, uh, the three point shot. This team, scary enough, might actually be a lot worse in terms of talking about the three point shot. They're they're actually tenth in the conference in three point attempts and ninth in three point conversions with their with the sixth best three point percentage in the conference. 
So they're a team that don't take them a lot and don't hit them very at a very high clip. That is something to definitely have a little have little sides of concern for. Um, I definitely think that at the end of the day, James Booknight is too good of a player. And uh, I know that NBA caliber prospects don't really matter in the NCAA tournament. You can't, I mean, it's sometimes kind of hard to apply the, the best player wins the big games uh, logic to the NCAA tournament just because there's so many unforeseen factors and because it is win or go home. There's so many situations where the best team doesn't always win. But I think that actually might even play into book night in the Huskies favor because they are not going to be one of those teams that's favored throughout the tournament, but they have one of the most favorable players in terms of being able to win one-on-one one-on-one matchups and take over games. And I think that attribute itself is very important, whether he's NBA caliber or not, he's a player who can take over games and put the team on his back. And I think that that helps significantly overall for this team. And like you said beforehand, he definitely helps makes this makes this team better. He helps um, he helps in a way that makes it where every t- everybody on the team is able to eat. And it doesn't show up in the box score through assists or anything, but it opens up his ability on the floor, opens up the court for everybody else. And that's going to allow everybody else to hit shots. And even if they're not threes, open looks are better than contested looks. And James Booknight is giving his teammates a lot of that. So he's been an energizer buddy for certain in terms of this UConn team. And I, like I said, I, I think they're one of the most dangerous teams coming out of the Big East because when you mess with James Booknight, you get a sports center highlight reel put on your head. And I think that that is something that a lot of teams are not going to be looking forward to. The next team we're going to talk about is Xavier. Jalen, where do you believe Xavier stands in the Big East? So I think middle of the pack is the, is a very casual way to state it, but like for multiple reasons, right? So 12 and five overall um, record fifth. In, ironically, there's a lot of fives that are going to come up throughout this. All of their losses came in conference play. They're five and five in conference play fifth in the big East. So a lot of fives to deal with in there, but I think that overall, I think that with them being a middle of the pack team, there's some there's some bright spots in there that are worth kind of noting. Ryan, this might sound kind of crazy, but they're the seventh best team in the country in terms of assisting the basketball with 18, 18.1 assists per game. I think that's something that is really interesting to keep in mind, that they're one of the better ball-sharing teams in the country. Now, again... The drop-off from five top uh, five double-digit scores down to three, we've seen that for the last three teams. And I don't want to ride this wave in terms of saying, oh, you don't have five double-digit scores. There's no way you're hanging with teams like Creighton and Villanova. But the way this team shares the basketball, it might not show up in the stat sheet for other guys, but everybody seems to be playing their role in a really significant way. And the guy who obviously stands out, if you're if you're to pull them up and look into what their team's makeup is, is Zach Fremantle. The dude's averaging near nearly a double double with 16.9 points per game and 8.9 rebounds. Um, struggling from the free throw line at at 60% even, struggling from the from the three point line as well at 31%. But he's shooting 61% 
um, from two, which I think is really significant to touch on as the dude is 6'9", 225 pounds. So he definitely wants to play downhill. I wouldn't say that he's very fluid in terms of like any post moves or anything crazy like that, but he's a guy that does a lot of the dirty work underneath the basket. And it, it shows just on his conversion rate, conversion rate. He's not a guy that's going to take a lot of threes. He's shooting on taking just under four, three point attempts per game in comparison to nearly 10, two point attempts per game. So Zach Fremantle is that guy. I'm going to let you go into a little bit of his supporting cast. Cause he's definitely got some, he got some hitters out there that make them kind of scary. So I'll give you a different number, and that's three. And I'm going to talk about their big three, which is Zach Fremantle, Paul Scruggs, and, and Nate Johnson. Let's start with Fremantle. You, you mentioned some of his stats. I'll go into it a little bit deeper. Even though Butler has lost three of the last four games, Fremantle is playing some of his best basketball, just looking at the past four games. He put up 30 and 15 on 50% shooting against UConn. 22 and 10 on 62 and a half percent shooting from the field against St. John's 17 and 10 on close to 56% shooting from the field against Butler. And then 24 and 12 on close to 59% shooting from the field. So he's scoring at a high level, but he's also shooting the ball efficiently, which is one of the best aspects about his game right now is that he's an efficient shooter from the field. You mentioned 61% from two point on two pointers. So that's an interesting statistic, but he's good at shooting from two. Nate Johnson's one of the best three point shooters in the country. Nate Johnson is shooting 45% from three. He's tied for seventh in the country in three point shooting percentage. And the third guy I want to talk about is Paul Scruggs. who's averaging close to 14 points and six rebounds on close to 45% shooting from the field. He's had a couple of 20-plus point games this season, including the most recent game against Providence, where he had 22 points. Xavier has a huge game coming up. And when I mean huge, I mean season-defining against Creighton on Saturday. And to say that this is a must-win game for them is an understatement. They need to win this game in order to make a tournament push. Yeah, I definitely think that that's going to be huge is that Fremantle is going to have to kind of step his game up in a in a game against Creighton, a team that, like you said, is, is no slouch by any means. I think a really interesting stat before we move on to the next team when it comes to Zach Fremantle that I want to touch on is that he's taken 61 three-point attempts this year and has only made 19 of them. Something that I found that was actually more interesting about that stat individually is that in conference play, in the 10 conference games that they've played overall, he's taken 36 of those threes, of those 61 threes. So he's taken over half his threes in conference play. Guess how many he's hit in conference play out of those 36 attempts? eight so he's taken more in conference play he's gotten a lot more trigger happy playing against conference opponents but he's hitting the same amount he's hit eight against conference opponents and eight against non-conference opponents so basically no matter how many threes this dude is hosting up it's not really changing his overall conversion rate against these teams i think that's something to definitely note on to because I don't see Zach Fremantle as somebody who's going to grow a three-point shot 
overnight. But just being a semi-threat from the three-point line would instantly make this team a lot more dangerous. I just don't know if Xavier has the the chutzpah, per se, to be able to hang with some of these top teams. And unfortunately, Creighton might be a little humbling for them, but we'll have to see. So moving on now to our next team in St. John's, and we talked in the Pac-12 conference breakdown about how LJ Figueroa transferred from St. John's to Oregon. Jalen, who do you believe has filled the role of LJ Figueroa? Well, it's Julian Champagne. This is a guy who um, I believe is the twin brother of the player that plays for Pittsburgh, actually. And ironically, they had a, uh, a really weird uh, a weird stretch where they were almost averaging like identical numbers early on in the season was something interesting that I heard online um, or that I saw online once before. And it's it's really interesting. Like he pretty much has covered all the warts for this team in more ways than one. I mean, 20 points per game, 7.2 rebounds per game, just under two assists per game, but he's averaging a steal and a half and nearly a block and a half. And then if we want to go into like how he's doing from the field, 39.9% from three on just over six attempts per games per game, which is like double what the next bet the next best shooter or the next most frequent shooter is on their team and 43.8 percent from the floor he's also killing his teammates in terms of field goal attempts he's shooting just nearly he's shooting just um just or he's shooting nearly 15 and a half um shots per game his next closest teammate is posh alexander with just under 10 so he is a guy that is definitely hoisting the rock up. He's definitely trying to get his shot off as consistently as possible. He is definitely their go-to guy, their, their leading scorer by far. The next closest guy still is Posh Alexander at 11.1 points per game. So Julian Champagne is pretty much there everything offensively. And I mean... I think that is actually pretty conducive to something positive for this team because I've seen a couple of things out there in the ether that Julian Champagne is could arguably be a top 60 guy in the upcoming NBA draft, which is a really interesting thing in its own right, because basically for, for a St. John's team that could potentially be a little bit of a threat come NCAA tournament time, he's a guy who's probably going to be able to show out a little on the big stage and maybe even move his draft stock even up a, a little bit more into probably into potentially a top 40 guy if he plays really well against top level competition. So I think there's two main guys. You mentioned actually both of them, Posh Alexander and Julian Champagne. I want to talk about Julian Champagne for a minute because he's a certified bucket getter, Jalen. Every game he has played in, he has scored in the double digits, five double doubles this season a 33-10 and 10 double-double against Creighton. And then you mentioned Posh Alexander. 11 points a game, and he's shooting 46% from the field. Just looking at the stretch of five games this season where Alexander was having good games and the team was winning games as well. 18 points, four rebounds, six assists, and three steals against UConn. 20 points and three steals against Utah Valley. 15.6 rebounds, 5 assists, and 3 steals against DePaul. 
15 points and six steals against Marquette, 16 points, six rebounds, and three steals against Villanova, 21 points against Providence. I think if these two guys continue to have big games, I think St. John's could be an interesting team to watch if they make the tournament. Yeah, I think another thing to really touch on is that, like, this team is really scary offensively. Top 25 in assists in the country, top 10 um, top ten in steals. That's a defensive stat, but definitely something that was glaring to me. Top 40 in points per game with just under 80 points um, per game average. They're 21st in terms of two-point conversion. Um, I think that overall, this team has some really nice bright spots, too. I think Julian Champagne is a guy who I think on the bright stage, um, under the bright lights on the big stage, I think is going to be a really interesting player. I think he's going to come out really strong if this team is, you know, considered one of the lower-seeded teams in the NCAA tournament. And I think it's good to see St. John's basketball, like, you know, thriving. I think it's a really good thing because of the culture that they have as a basketball program. And I think that overall, I think looking at the makeup of this team, I think Julius Champagne is obviously obviously the guy driving the bus. But at the end of the day, I think that this team in its own way has a lot of potential to put a lot of teams on upset alert just because of the fact that they play really strong defense they shoot the ball relatively well and they're a team that I mean they're able to lean on their guy but they have other guys who can produce relatively well as well I mean Isaiah Moore is another guy we didn't discuss very much Isaiah Moore and Vince Cole both averaging just under 10 points per game they're two guys when you look at how they shoot from the three-point line Cole is shooting 36.3 percent Greg Williams is another guy who taps in at 46 percent now Isaiah Moore struggles in that department but he's a guy who doesn't really take a very high volume of shots himself, but he kind of gets all of his buckets within the flow of the game, which kind of works itself out overall. But like I said before, Julian Champagne is obviously the guy at the top of the totem pole. And again, I said it earlier with James Booknight. I think when you have an NBA caliber player, I think that gets undervalued sometimes. When you have an NBA caliber player on your team under the, under the, under the, the big time circumstances of a winner go home situation. I think a guy like Julian Champagne is going to be a guy that's going to be a show out pretty scary for this team and make St. John's a really tough out. So the last thing we're going to talk about before we move on to our sleeper is Providence. Jalen, do you believe that wherever David Duke goes, this Providence team goes? I mean, I think that's the easiest way to touch on it. I think that, I think that David Duke is, stellar bro i think he's like i don't usually use that word often but like this dude is like he's really good at basketball to put it lightly like he's a guy that i really like i think that the efficiency is something that i would like to see him improve on um 40 percent from three i think is really impressive um but 39 percent from the floor that's where things get kind of tricky 39% from the floor and just just over 14 attempts per uh of uh, shots per game. That's where things get kind of tricky, but I mean, it's hard to argue with 17.2 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game and 5 assists per game with just, with just over a steal per game. Like that is hard to argue with. And I think David Duke is like, we were talking about Champagne earlier in terms of being like a top 60 guy in the NBA draft, this, um, this upcoming NBA draft. I think David Duke is a guy 
regardless of what happens in terms of any NCAA play, I think that he's a guy who legitimately is like a top 40, top 45 guy right now. And I think, I mean, all the measurables are there already. 6'5 guard, 205 pounds. I think he'll probably put on a little bit more muscle, but he's a very has a very physical, strong build as it is. Plays with a ton of control. I think, I think David Duke, like you said beforehand, I definitely is the driver of this car. But Nate Watson is no joke. I'll let you get into him. But yeah, David Duke, I like him as a prospect, as a sneaky prospect too. I think. You know, if I'm making suggestions to the new Bulls management, you know, if you got a second round pick floating around, I like a big guard like David Duke in the second round. You mentioned David Duke. I'll just say one more thing about him. He's a certified bucket getter. Almost all of his games, he scored in the double digits. He had two 30 plus point games in there, too. And Jalen, you mentioned that he's a sneaky prospect. I could argue he is a potential first round pick. You mentioned Nate Watson. I'll talk about him a little bit. He's been another player for this team that has been great. He's averaging close to 17 points a game, seven rebounds, shooting close to 60% from the field. He has a strong presence in the paint for this team, and he's getting the buckets down low and grabbing rebounds. I would say other players who are contributing include A.J. Reeves, who is averaging 10 points a game, and he's one of the best free throw shooters on this team. And Noah Horschler, who just had a huge 20-point game against Xavier. And he's another guy who has a strong presence in the paint for this team. And I think Providence, not only a staple of consistency in the Big East, but this is another interesting team. They have two tough tests to close out the season with St. John's and Villanova coming up. But I think these could be huge wins for them if they're able to beat St. John's and Villanova. Yeah, and two things I want to touch on lightly um, is just out of the fact that with Nate Watson, yeah, definitely the definition of a rim-running center. He's one of those guys that falls into that Clint Capella-esque role right now. Not a crazy big rebounder, but seven, nearly seven rebounds per game I think is definitely huge. Um, second leading scorer by far does all this dirty work down low, as you said beforehand, hasn't attempted a three this season. And it's because that boy eats in the paint and doesn't need to be behind the line to save his life. I think the other thing that I want to touch on that I find kind of important, Ryan, we've preached really heavily, or at least I've tried to touch on it very strongly about some of the top teams in the country but specifically in the Big East, shooting the three ball at a relatively high clip, and that being something that I feel like is relatively important. And as we move closer to March Madness, where big three-point shots are the difference makers in games sometimes. They're literally full-blown momentum swingers. And, I mean, you know, there was that game that we saw with Alabama earlier in the season where they hit a school-high amount of threes and it I mean the, the game wasn't even close I believe that game was against LSU if I'm not mistaken and we just come to realize that the three-point shot is like one of the most lethal shots in the game not just because it's worth an extra point but just because it's one of those things that teams are starting to you know shoot at a high volume well they are holding teams in the conference to 29.3 percent from behind the arc which leads the conference. I think that is huge, huge for Providence in terms of their hopes of being a legit team 
overall coming out the Big East because I think the fact that they do that so well, I think puts them in a certain bracket where they're able to hang with other teams because they have that inside presence. They have that outside presence with a guy like David Duke who has his pulse on everything for this team. And if you guard the line strong, you're going to be in every game because if you're able to hold good three-point shooting teams to unrealistic, uncharacteristic numbers, you have a fighting chance when you have those two guys leading the charge. So I think Providence is extremely scary as well coming out of the Big East. And it's funny that we talked about a handful of teams with NBA-level prospects towards the back end of the Big East as opposed to the front end where teams like Villanova, you could argue Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but some would argue that he's still a guy who might need another year in school. The top end, the front end of the Big East is actually very devoid of the NBA talent and more well-rounded as opposed to the back end of the Big East that has an NBA talent here or there that stands out, that makes the team a little bit more interesting. So moving on to our sleeper, Jalen, who is your sleeper in the Big East? I think overall, I'm see, this one's tricky because I don't see anybody really usurping anybody per se, but the next best team has to be like, Marquette, I'd have to say. They're pretty low on the totem pole, but record-wise, they're 11 and 12. That's probably the next closest to Providence. In terms of their conference record, 6 and 10, it's not better than Butler, but they could easily not, I don't want to say easily switch things around because they've got Connecticut coming up. That's not going to be fun. (laughs) Not to mention DePaul and Xavier to finish out the season. But I think that Marquette is just positioned well to make a little bit of a run in comparison to some of these other teams. I know it's easy to say Butler, but Butler really hasn't been playing that well, despite the fact that they just have the better conference record. And like barely, by the way, it's literally one game difference. I think that Marquette is just overall from what their resume looks like right now, five and five on the road, as opposed to Butler, who's one and eight on the road. I think that that's something to touch on as well. Out of the other four teams that are that are left over, Marquette is the only team with a 500 record or better on the road, which is huge. Um, yeah, I think I think Marquette's next. I think Marquette's next. I don't think they're going to crack it because I think Providence is too good. But I think that if there had to be any other team that could be kind of lethal down the down at the bottom of the Big East, it would have to be Marquette, just out of the fact that they are probably the team with the best resume left. So I also agree with you in saying Marquette is my sleeper. But the interesting thing about Marquette is that they have games on their schedule that you were surprised that they won and then surprised that they lost. For example, they were able to upset Creighton early in the season. And then they just defeated North Carolina. And then they just picked up nice conference wins over St. John's and Providence. After they beat Providence and St. John's, they end up playing them again. And then they lose to them. They also lose to to DePaul in that same, in that same three game losing streak. They have a lot of close losses of 10 points or less. Lost to Oklahoma state by eight, lost to UCLA by nine, lost to Seton hall by seven. Xavier by three, DePaul by seven, Providence in overtime by nine, St. John's by two, Creighton after beating them earlier in the season, they lose to them by three, and then they lose to Seton Hall again by six. 
So I think this team has the capability of pulling out a sneaky win, but they also lose these games that you don't expect them to lose, like the loss to DePaul. Yeah, but I think splitting with Creighton is huge. I think that's something to really put a uh, touch on. I think the win against St. John's on January 16th, 73-71, I think that's a big one. I think one of the bigger things that you touched on overall is just the fact that, like, this team is very wishy-washy in terms of being able to close games. There's some games where, I mean, because of the uh, the frequency, because of the frequency in which they have a lot of games decided by 10 points or less, you can tell that it's just the late game execution that's really hurting this team and unfortunately when we're talking about trying to qualify for the NCAA tournament closing games is the name of the game overall not only just to get to the dance but also to even be a consistent player in the dance because of the fact that those final possessions in every NCAA game is really going to matter because of the fact that every bounce is going to be important I mean, for the most part, you know what I mean? We've seen major comebacks, big late second shots, last second shots. The NCAA tournament is full of surprises, and that's why closing games and having experience play is huge. So I think Marquette is in a really weird position because of the fact that they've had so many on and off situations. We're also asking a team to figure out how to start closing games as they're probably getting to their most important stretch of the season over the the course of these last three games to make their real good push towards any chance at the tournament. So, like I said, it's rough when you got Connecticut and Xavier as part of that mixture. But, I mean, I think that they're definitely a team that can make a bit of a play for it. But my main thing is, regardless if they win these three games in a row, I still just think Providence is too good. And that's why I think that at the end of the day, David Duke and, the, and those guys with the Friars are going to be the ones to kind of hang their hats on the on the bottom end of the season. If not, maybe even move up a little bit, depending on the circumstances as we close out the year. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who is one Big East team that you believe could make a run in the NCAA tournament? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure we subscribe to us on Apple You rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.